0: Welcome to Kit Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Twelve broken bridges. We see them in churches everywhere. Welcome to episode number four, where we're going to see some new pathways to restore spiritual vitality to your life and to your church. Yes, we know. Most Christians know the pathway to heaven is Jesus. But God's bridge to introduce Jesus to people everywhere is you and me, the local church. But as we look at churches across this land and around the world, we see a number of broken bridges. Broken bridge number four, we call discipleship disaster. It's all about the issue of how do we disciple other people? You know, when we consult churches, we use anonymous research surveys, questionnaires. They're sent ahead of time, and we get them back, and then they're all tabulated and put in graphic form for their report, and for us and for our consultants to study before we even arrive on site. We also collect other data like bulletin items and newsletters and their constitution and all sorts of things. And then we go on site and we interview a cross section of the congregation. And while we're interviewing people, I've done this for now 40 years, One of the questions that I ask is, are you involved in your church in some way? And inevitably, somewhere along the line, somebody chosen for me to interview in the cross-section of their congregation is a Sunday school teacher. And I have a, a special set of questions beyond other things that may come up out of the person's own story of life and their story in the church. It's my way of unearthing the world of discipling. So they usually, on a information form, they fill out right before we interview them, put down what they're involved in. And so I'll see that they're a Sunday school teacher. I'll say, so I see you, uh, you teach Sunday school. I might ask them, what level do you teach? What are the age level of the children in your Sunday school class? And so on and so forth. And then I'll ask them, so I know you might have it written out somewhere in some sort of document that your church uses, but... Just off the top of your head, what would you say is your primary job description? What are you supposed to do as a Sunday school teacher? At that point, person usually looks at me like, you don't know about Sunday school? (laughs) I just kind of encourage them along. And they say, well, you know, to teach Sunday school. I said, yeah, I understand that. What else? Sometimes they'll say, well, what do you mean what else? Well, you know, what else are you expected to do? What What is part of your role as a Sunday school teacher besides actually teach? And I'll say, well, you know, prepare the lesson. Yeah, that's good. I I understand that. What else? And they'll kind of start thinking a little deeper and maybe hesitate a little bit. And then I'll hear someone say, well, well, besides prepare the lesson, uh, I pray for the children that are in my class. Well, that's good. What else? They'll think a little bit more and they'll say, well, if somebody misses Sunday school, I call the home or check with their parents in church, see if they're okay. Okay, that's great. What else? Finally... I exhaust their list, and what I'm looking for is someone, some Sunday school teacher that will tell me, one of my primary responsibilities while I teach Sunday school is to look for, pray for, until I find, and then invite someone with the gift of teaching who I can disciple on the job while I'm teaching Sunday school. And I hope you're absolutely blown away with discomfort by what I'm going to tell you after 40 years working in almost 1,600 churches in 77 different denominations, along with non denominational independent churches. Not once, not even once have I been in a church where a Sunday school teacher I interview says, I disciple another person, or I'm looking to disciple, I'm praying for, I'm searching for another person to disciple while I teach Sunday school. Not once. 40 years. And in every church I go to, I interview a Sunday school teacher, not once. Now, in their constitution, it says that the main purpose of that church is to make disciples, to disciple people. So if I multiply that out across the church, including the staff and many pastors, what I discover is a discipleship disaster, broken bridge number four. We don't do what we confess is the primary mission of the church to make disciples. That's not just making disciples of new people who don't yet know Jesus and growing them in discipleship. That also includes discipling people in a ministry. So that begs the question: Why not? Why don't we disciple? Well, for one thing, we're clueless about discipleship, and that's a disaster. Paul discipled people. The apostle Paul. Jesus discipled his disciples, they discipled others. It's the key multiplication strategy for the growth of the kingdom of God. And we don't even do it internally within the church. Honestly, most Christian in churches and most church leaders don't disciple anyone. Now, some think that teaching and preaching is discipling, but it's not. Preaching is feeding people who are discipled. I've said this before, you can't disciple a crowd because discipling is personal. It's relational. It's on the job. It's more like raising children and far from the idea of asking for volunteers or electing people into some position in the church. So, okay, we don't know maybe how to disciple. Well, let me tell you, it's not rocket science. And I'm going to give you six steps. Very simple. I think that any eight year old child who's grown up in a Christian home could know and do this. So, discipling is the lifelong activity of every Christian. And here are six steps. Number one, it'll sound familiar to you. Number one, come follow me. Now, you might not say it that way. You might say, hey, Joe, you know, I teach Sunday school. We've been friends for a long time. Why don't you hang out with me in my Sunday school class? Just come follow me and say no more. That's the way Jesus gathered his disciples. Most people have heard that before from the Bible. Come follow me. Now, Jesus didn't tell them everything. He didn't say, come follow me and someday you will die for the cause. You will be jailed for the cause. You will have to speak to emperors. You will be crucified upside down. Jesus didn't say that. So, what was that all about? Was that Jesus baiting people? Bait and switch? I don't think so. I think it was being loving and sensitive. Would you invite your seven-year-old into a discussion with your spouse about how you can't pay the mortgage? I don't think so child isn't ready for that. Yep. Discipling is like growing children. Think about it. So the step number one is just come follow me. Would you hang out with me while I do this? Pastors, hey, I'm going to the hospital today. Mary, you're retired now. You got great people skills. You like to serve people that are hurting. I'm going to make some hospital visits. Want to come along? Come follow me. Step number two. Uh, Mary, as I go to the hospital today, look, uh, on our way here in the car, Uh, I don't want you to do anything. I'm going to do it all. We're going to visit a couple people from our church, and I'm just going to do it, and I just want you to watch. Just watch. See what I do. See how it goes on a hospital call. I do. You watch. Step number two. Step number three. I do. You help. After a while, Mary's with me on a hospital call. Mary, you've been with me on several hospital calls over a long time now. Why don't you just do a part of what I do? Here's a scripture that I was going to read today to the person we're going to go visit. and eh, Why don't you read it? She says, yes. We get through step three. I do you help. You might be in that step for months. It might be a dozen visits. Who knows? Kind of depends on the one you're discipling, how they're growing, how fast, how much they're leaning into what you're doing. Step number four, you do I help. Mary, we've done this so many times. I believe you could probably do the whole thing. Next week, when we go out on hospital calls, we're going to visit so-and-so, and you just do it, and I'll be right there, and I'll be kind of silent. I mean, I'll introduce us as we go in, and I'll say goodbye when we leave, but for the most part, I'll just look at you, and you just do the hospital call. Do the ministry, and I'll be right there, Mary. I mean, you know, if you get to a point and you say, oops, I forgot what I do next. This isn't as easy as I thought. Whatever you're thinking about, you just look at me, and I'll take right over right there. I mean, I've been doing this a thousand times. So no big deal. Just look, glance at me and I'll know you want me to to take right over. We'll make it a natural transition. No problem. I'm your safety net. I'll be there. No big deal. You do, I'll help. And I'll do a little bit of part at the end. Step five, Mary's got this down. I think she can do it all without my help. Mary, instead of giving me a little part at the end, I want you to do it all. Even that part you're uncomfortable with. But I'll be there. I'll be right there with you. Same as last time, you just look at me, and you do and I'll watch. That's step five. You do and I'll watch. For a while we were doing you do and I help, now you do and I watch. And again, if you get like really freaked out by something, no problem. Just look at me and I'll just take right over. Just be at ease, be yourself, be calm. They won't know. You just look at me and I'll, I'll take over. But mainly, I'd like you to do it all. If you can, if you don't, no big deal. We'll try the next person or next time we go out, but I'd like to do this this time. You do, I watch. Step number six. By this time, Mary's discipled to do hospital calls. she has been on enough calls and she's seen about everything. People near death, people in for just something very small, children, older people, everybody in between, people just out of surgery, people just had a baby. Mary's seen it all. Mary, you could do this on your own. So I'll tell you what, you just do what I've done. Six steps, come follow me, I do you watch, then I do you help, Then you do i help then you do i watch and then let someone else do hospital calls no big deal disciple them oh and by the way as you do that with someone else as a person constantly discipling i'm going to do it too because i can't do ministry without discipling someone else because jesus said we're supposed to make disciples now think about that process and multiply it all over your church you're going to see ushers with somebody tagging behind them maybe some young person you're going to see people on your church council or board or whatever you call your decision making group that discusses big stuff. You're going to see them with someone they're discipling who's maybe sitting behind them around the table at the meeting when you gather. But they're going to be working with them off site as well, helping them to grow into discipleship. Oh, you're not going to have elections. You're not going to open it up to somebody wins, somebody loses. You're not going to just take a vote. Isn't that in the Bible? You're going to equip these people. And you're going to go after people that are deep in the scripture and have been all their lives because that's the only manual the church has. So you're going to find people for that leadership group that have a lifestyle and a reputation of being someone who has been a Bible student most of their lives. Doesn't matter what other skills they have. They got to know the Bible to be a leader in the church, to make decisions for the church. And then when that happens, they're going to multiply themselves some other way. And the people that are now on that leadership group will do the same thing over again. Look for, pray for, until they find someone to disciple. Term limits? What a joke. Can you imagine if Matthew was told he had a term... Limit or Peter, Paul. Yeah, this is good. You can do this for a little while, but after that, you know, we have to make room for somebody else. Well, if you want to make room for somebody else, multiply by discipling. Ultimately, multiply your church, and you have ready-made leaders that you've discipled. Multiply churches. Multiply locations. Start a network of churches. Multiply, multiply, multiply. That's what discipleship is all about. That's the way the kingdom is supposed to grow. Let me just uh, talk about discipleship, this discipleship disaster, in another way of approach what is it that your church measures every church measures some stuff what do you measure you know there's an old uh, saying what measured gets done if you want to tell people what's really important you measure it so what do we measure in most churches worship attendance that's cool worship's important what else financial giving (laughs) yeah that's important what else do you measure well, how many people are members of the church? The corporate measurement? Yeah, that's cool, I guess. What else? How about those who are discipling someone? You see, that's what Jesus called us to do to make disciples. And that wasn't just for staff people. That was for everybody. Everybody's supposed to be making disciples, you know, not just the leaders. Of course, if the leaders don't, no one else will. But the main objective, the most important thing Jesus would want you to measure, according to Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, is to go make disciples. Did the disciples get that? Absolutely, they got that. They made disciples. All through the New Testament, you see, once you get past the Gospels, into the book of Acts and all these letters, you see people discipling other people. They got it. We don't. So often, we're stuck on a broken bridge of discipleship disaster. But there is a pathway around that broken bridge. It is to start measuring and start encouraging people and start modeling discipling and start focusing on discipling because i'll tell you what if you just measure members and that other stuff that members do at the end of the day members go to church but disciples go to work and it's that work that energy that flywheel that gets moving that causes churches to grow you ignore that you ignore church at your peril yeah this is a broken bridge it's failing to do the one thing jesus gave us to do make disciples it's what the apostles did it's what paul did it's what timothy did What Titus did, it's what Jesus modeled. It was that important. So why is this so important? Well, the way we do church has four results, the way we do it now in most churches. Four results. Number one, we're really good at burning out staff. Some of these people, I don't know how they do it. I'm not kidding you. I don't know how they do it. They work so hard night and day and don't disciple. So the church is not killing them. They're killing themselves. I know. Before I knew better, I did it myself. Came down with mononucleosis because I was burning myself out at both ends, day and night, burnout. Then I learned about discipling, and that was after seminary. I didn't get it in seminary. Nobody talked about it. Nobody modeled it. Where I went to school. So, yeah, one of the results, one of the four results is we burn out staff. Number two, we rob people of the privilege of ministry. We rob people... Of experiencing the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit using their gifts in the discipling process. Number three, we steal the joy of expectation that's all part of this multiplication explosion of the church in the good sense explosion. This multiplication process where people disciple people who disciple people who disciple people. You know this if you have a child. If you have a child that becomes an adult. To get married they have children now you have grandchildren this is the way it's supposed to work with the children of god it's not really that hard to understand and so the children of god are to multiply other children not just that they're born again by the holy spirit but we're to disciple them so that they can disciple others so that you have spiritual children spiritual disciples and who are disciplers who disciple now you have spiritual grandchildren. You know, our son and daughter in law are expecting their first child as I record this. And um the other day, a couple weeks ago, they had a they had a reveal party. You know, where you have this cake and it's either pink or blue inside, and they know but they're not telling and at the door they handed out little stickers you could pick blue or pink and put it on your shirt and it was kind of fun. They didn't do that when I was younger and had children, but or I didn't know about it anyway. But yeah, it was really cool because they're going to have a boy. And our daughter and son-in-law have two children, but they're by the father's name. And... Uh, then my son and daughter-in-law, that'll be our name. And our son right away said, yeah, the hunter name is going to be passed on, which, of course, you know, that's not real important to me. That's that's great. I'm happy. But I was thinking more about a hunting and fishing buddy myself. That's pretty cool. Although I already have a granddaughter on my daughter's side, and my son-in-law's side, that might actually be that also. That's pretty cool. So, But that's God's uh, pathway of multiplication. That's why people have children, grandchildren, they have family reunion that's all about that. Well, that's what the church is supposed to be. So what happens is, in number three, the results is we steal the joy of multiplication. Family reunions, multiplication. And result number four, we lose our society because we're not multiplying, we're not growing. We just piddle along in churches that are maintaining. So in the process, we Christians are losing our society. We're losing our culture, we're losing our nation. We're losing our world, people. To rely on the few to do ministry, it castrates the mission of the body of Christ. We become impotent to become the movement Jesus began. I know it sounds harsh, I'm sorry, But Jesus began a movement, but we cripple Christianity. So I urge pastors and Christians to learn the discipline of discipling. The most common reaction, I don't have time. Well, I want to say two things about that. Number one, you don't have the time because you have inherited a Christian operation that's broken. It's a broken bridge. We have drifted from the plan that Jesus had for the body of Christ to disciple people. And that's a tragedy because if you become a discipler, of disciples, and those disciples become disciples, it's like having spiritual grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and all the rest. And number two, it's all about the word go, make disciples. In the Bible, in the scripture, in the original language of the Greek, the Great Commission isn't go make disciples, it's as you are going, which means as you go about your daily life, as you do whatever you do at church. So don't say you don't have time because it's as you go about whatever you do in ministry, you take someone along with you. Come follow me. Come hang out with me for a while. As you do ministry, you say the powerful words. Hey, come on along. You see, this is God's way, his pathway around the broken bridge of the discipleship disaster. You can do this. You really can and you'll love it. Our next episode... It's a tough one, you don't wanna miss it. We're gonna look at the broken bridge of religious backstabbing, how we hurt one another in the church. Yeah, it's a tough one, but until then, hey, please, search your heart and your Bible for God's pathway around your broken bridges. It's a great journey. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.